Welcome to another episode of Up at 3am. Today is our first bonus episode where I'll be discussing the 2008 film Lake Mongo, my thoughts on my first watch through, and why I believe it is probably one of the scariest films of all time. Now, shall we begin? Welcome ladies and gentlemen to another episode of Up at 3am. It is currently 4.50 on a beautiful sunny afternoon here in the 402. I'm your host Paco Salazar. Now, today's episode is a little different because today is a bonus episode. Yes, that's right, a bonus episode. And I still don't entirely know what structure to take with these episodes. A lot of times it might be maybe a little more research-based, depending on the topic. Uh, maybe it's just me talking about a film I recently watched and wanted to talk about, which is the case for this episode. And the film is 2008's Lake Mongo, a very under, underseen, underrated horror film that I don't think many people have come across, which is a shame because this is a beautiful, beautiful movie. Probably one of the scariest I've ever seen in a while as well. But a little bit out of the, get some things out of the way. Like I said, this is our first bonus episode. These won't be, won't have a certain schedule. Um, They'll probably just be kind of sporadic throughout the week. They probably won't come out on Saturdays because I those are like my days off slash that's when the weekly podcast comes out. So if you if a, if a bonus podcast if a bonus podcast drops, expect it to be sometime between during the week, probably a, maybe a Wednesday or Thursday, but no specific date. It'll just drop whenever I feel like it. So keep an eye out for those. Um. So, yeah, I still don't have, like I said, there's no structure to these yet. It's just probably going to be blabbering on. Hopefully they're not as long as the weekly episodes. But then again, this is the first one. So the rules are kind of up in the air right now. But yes, I'm going to start off with a non, mostly non-spoiler review. And then I'll leave a time mark or a time stamp in the description of this podcast for, for when the spoiler discussion starts, when it starts and when it ends. Well, no, probably when it starts because the spoiler will probably go to the rest of the podcast. But, but also, I'll give you a reminder as to when we'll switch the spoilers, and I'll put an interlude as well. But yeah, 2008's Lake Mongo, directed by Joy Anderson. It's an Australian film shot in a mockumentary style, you know, like Borat or something. Although, totally different, but in that style, mockumentary style. Um, it is, this is, it's about um, this family going through the loss of their 16-year-old daughter, Alice after she drowned in the lake. Um, and that's not really a spoiler. I mean, that's basically the movie. But things start to go, start to differ or start to change when they start to uh, go through paranormal happenings in their house. Um, and yeah, and I could go, like I said, I could go more into it, but it gets really, it's 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 pretty, it's pretty much, it's a, it's a good slow burn. I'll tell you that. It's a slow burn. It takes its time. It's very well paced. Um, the story moves along at a at a nice enough pace, not too fast, but but also not. It's not too fast to where like so it's information overload, but it's also s- slow enough to where it's like you're wanting to see where the story is going. And I think part of part of what helps is that mockumentary style, that like very heavily edited, like ready for TV type special. That like it emphasizes on the slow burn of this movie, and you're just waiting to see what's gonna happen next or how this whole story is gonna end. Um, 
but yes, like I said, it's very, very underseen, very um, underrated. It's it deserves to be seen by everybody. And after I watched this about a a, a night ago, I want to say Sunday night. Um, this is definitely now in my top. I want to say ten of my all time favorites favorite films. It is just so. I have not been un so unsettled by a film in such a long time. Granted, I've had times where I feel unsettled, like in Hereditary or um, what's another one? There's some other ones I can't think of off the top of my head, but Hereditary is one that stands out for sure. But I've been unsettled before, but this one just hits different. And I recommend everyone go see this movie. Give the appreciation it deserves. Um, like, surprisingly, this direct Joel Anderson, he directs the hell out of this movie. And this is his only movie as far as I'm concerned. He never went on to direct anything else. He has no social media, so there's like really no way of like contacting him. He could just kind of direct this. Let, he left this gift to the world and just left. But I, I would love to see another movie made by him. If this is the work he could do, I would love to see something else done by him. But yeah, this movie deserves to be seen. Um, go check it out. I believe last time I checked, I believe it's on Amazon Prime. You can go check it out there, or you can check it out on the service called Tubi. I shouted it out in the last podcast. Um, it's a it's a free streaming service online. Their library is pretty hit or miss, but I, but some other some other some of them um, lately have been hits. It's and I feel it's usually their their horror slash cult section is a little stronger than everything else. But yeah, Tubi it's a good service. It's a free streaming service. You can go check out this this movie on on there, or if you have Amazon Prime, check it on Amazon Prime. But yeah, like I said, it's very amazing, very well made, and yeah, go check it out. And that's really all I can say for the non spoilers. Um, so yeah, if you haven't seen the movie yet, or you just don't care and just want to hear me babble on about it, then let's let's continue on with the spoilers. This is the spoiler review. Now I'm go through the basic plot breakdown of the movie as long as giving your thoughts along the way. And then give your final thoughts to the end of the movie. Okay? Alright. Bye. Okay, now that we're in the spoiler section of the podcast, everyone who hasn't seen the movie is out of here. And if you're still here and haven't seen the movie, um, I guess this will affect your viewing of the movie, depending on how you take spoilers. Me, personally, sometimes I like to stay blind in a movie. But sometimes I'm okay with a spoiler. Um, sometimes I like to see the way the film's going to go, knowing where it's going to go. Kind of like Fight Club. It's been out for like a while now. And I finally got around to it, I believe, about it two years ago, maybe. And I already knew that I knew the twist long before I saw this movie. But watching the movie, it was fun to see where it was going, how they were building towards the reveal of a spoiler. If you somehow haven't seen Fight Club, of how... Um, Tyler is actually Edward Norton's character. Brad Pitt and Tyler Norton. Brad Pitt and Edward Norton are the same character, so it was fun to see it go down, go towards that, that final like conclusion. So yeah, if you haven't seen the movie yet, this might affect it, how you view. I don't know. Uh, also, again, me personally, I, I knew where this movie was going because I saw a video by this YouTuber named Ryan Hollinger who did a video on this movie. Um. Well, I, I didn't think I'd, I'd ever see this movie, or at least not anytime recently. And I saw this video about a year ago, and uh, I finally got around to it uh, about like a day ago. 
and I had more or less remembered where it was going or I knew some key points of what to look for. But even knowing key points, I was still blown away. I was still misdirected. Um, I was still surprised to say, especially at one certain key turn in the movie where I guess I forgot about it from when I saw that video because I, it, it threw me off. It threw me for a loop when I first, when I saw the movie. And then, and then actually seeing the ending scene, which we'll get to, um, it, it had like a different weight. Even though I saw it in that video, it had a different weight when I saw it because I was, I was, I became like invested with these characters. I came, I became invested with this film. That by the time we got to that certain point, and if you see the movie, you'll know what point I'm talking about. That I was forever changed. That I still get chills. I have chills right now thinking about that last scene. But anyway, let's get into it. So Lake Mungo follows the Palmer family going through the loss of their daughter Alice, who drowned in in the lake. Um, I believe this is set around 2005 when that happened, and so it's just kind of the family going through grief and through loss. Um, how this just going yeah the aftermath of all this you know like they found out that she she went missing that day they went to the to that lake and then eventually they found her body the police found her body the mother the mother was so stricken with grief she couldn't go um identify um, her daughter's body so the dad had to go and do it and immediately off the bat you're like just you're practically yes you're throwing in with the family saying like seeing like what they're going through how they're both each dealing with the grief um the dad seems to have more of a he seems to have more of like a oh like i like i understand this is going he kind of blocks himself with his work he does that he, that's one of the things that stands out is that he blocks himself off of his, his job and kind of like not not entirely forgets what happened but like he kind of like was able to get over it somewhat quickly even if he's not even if he's not fully over it but he seems to get over it quickly while the mother like yeah had a seemed to take a harder hit she was really a thing that helps play later on is that she really felt bad that she didn't show enough love to her daughter and she really hoped that one of the things she hoped was that her daughter she was hoping that alice knew her daughter her that she loved her like the mom truly loved like she wanted she was hoping that alice died knowing that but the grief hits her harder and then her the brother matthew is also kind of becomes kind of more reserved um focusing himself kind of as well like in some other activity which is photography um but at this it's at this point where i believe i don't remember if there were any paranormal activity happening yet but eventually the brother matthew sets up cameras around the house oh wait no no He's, he he has this project where he takes a picture of their backyard every every couple months to see the changes, and in one of them he he takes it. You see clear as day. It seems Alice is in the picture, the ghost of Alice, and um, you can see her clear as day just standing there. And one thing I do enjoy how Anderson holds uses the camera, how he directs the camera, is that sometimes they'll show these videos or these pictures. And you think you're seeing one thing, but then the camera's like, no, look over here. And it starts to slowly zoom in on what you should be looking at. And it's 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 one of the most unnerving things I've seen. Like, yeah, it's been done before, but for some reason it works highly effectively in this movie. And it's just really unnerving and unsettling. So yeah, Alice is in the backyard. And so like, oh, snap, maybe there's some things going on. So, the, so Matthew decides to set up some cameras to see if he catches anything. 
And it seems like there's nothing in the cameras until they show one where it's like in the hallway. And it's what seems to be Alice, like straight up walks across the hallway, clear as day. It's her. It's her like walking across the hallway. And then I don't know if it was the same one, but then there was also, I think she appeared. She said, oh, it's in it's the camera in her room. Is it a, a camera in her room? And she was like in this, she was in the reflection of a mirror. She was right there, like if she was staring at the mirror. And so, yes, the the mother goes into this type of, this state of like, oh, like, my is she still alive? Maybe she didn't die. Maybe she's still alive. And the dad is becoming conflicted because he saw, he rec- he saw Alice. He was there to identify her. He saw her body all pale and like kind of deformed from the drowning and all that. But this forces the, the family to exhume Alice's grave to see if the body is there and she's there she's she's there all right um so they were like what's going on this has to be some kind of paranormal haunting and and I don't remember if it was mentioned yet but I think that but there was also a scene where this man was at a lake at that lake taking pictures and he caught something in the back where it was um it would seem to be Alice as well chilling like way in the back and this was one of the first times I think where Anderson uses that like zoom in on the on the character and it just it's very unnerving but anyway so yeah so they so they believe oh there's paranormal stuff going on so the mom hires a psychic who's like a well-known psychic in town and he's like on he has like his own radio show and everything and he does a private consultation of her like like an inner he, he like reads her no or gets a sense of what she or what the mom's going through or something and has her like Imagine their house and she's walking through and she sees Alice at some point. She sees Alice at some point, like in the, no, she goes in, she thinks she sees Alice, but there's, it's just her shoes outside the door. I'm sorry if this seems all like jumbled up. I didn't take notes or anything. I'm just remembering from the top of my head. But yeah, she doesn't see her. And then the dad goes on talking about how he had an encounter with Alice where he went into her room and saw her like at her desk, but she turns around and like yells at him to get out, get out, get out and like run, like charges him, I think. And he's left spooked. So, so the psychic Ray decides to go to their house and like, hey, let's try a seance. Let's try a seance and see if we can get any kind of confirmation from Alice if she's here or not. And Matthew sets up a camera like, hey, okay, let's see if we were to catch anything. And... At first, it seems like nothing happened. Nothing, go- nothing happens during the seance. It seems all fine. But then they review the footage. And once again, there's that zoom thing. Where like, because the camera's aimed at them a certain way. To where it's in the kitchen. But there's still like a bit off the side. Off to the side where you can kind of see into the hallway. And they zoom in. And there's like a reflection of Alice's face. In like this mirror or picture frame that's on the. That's that's like on, like on, a, on a desk. Or no, on a what's it called a drawer in the hallway and they see her and so like oh shit like oh my gosh what's gonna happen this is weird they're giving they're there's skepticism around for like the police and like oh are we they could be hauntings who knows so yeah and i think at this point we're getting close to maybe halfway through the movie and one of the probably one of the probably the first twist to hit is which kind of like it gets kind of a big one, and it's so. Like I said, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen the movie, go check it out. Why are you still here? And if you still want to be here, then that's fine by me. But that's that's on your 
your own terms. But yeah, the first. So then it turns out, or there was this couple that was also at the lake the same day. The other guy to, who took the picture of Alice was there, and they were just chilling. They had camera going, and they caught what seemed to be Alice, but what in reality was actually Matthew wearing, I think, Alice's like sweater or jacket. And he was like chilling there, and it was like, oh, it, the camera's kind of moving around, and you can probably be like, oh, maybe, who knows? It looked like him, but it probably wasn't. But no, like, they get they catch a frame where it's like clear as day. It's Matthew walking there, and then it turns out that Matthew is faking all this. He's faking the footage and the photo of Alice, everything. It's all yeah, it's all fake. Um, and then he goes through like his process, like yeah, with the video, all it took was like some clever planning. He had this older video, a video of Alice that he had that was playing on the TV and angled the mirror in a slight way to where he could catch her face. When she was walking through the hallway, it was actually him walking through the hallway. The reflection of her in, the, in her bedroom mirror was the same thing of like the TV aimed with the photo. It was like a smart like way of like overlaying certain, overlaying like two photos over each other. And so, yeah, he's basically faking all this. And he did this t- to his reasoning. He did this because he wanted to. He wanted he wanted to force the fam like his parents in a way to exhume Alice's body as a way to bring the mom closure as to like, yeah, she's dead. She needs to move on, blah blah blah. And in a way, it's kind of a sick thing, I I think. In my in my opinion, I think it's kind of a sick thing to do something like that, but at the same time I get why he did it. And the parents kinda like think that's a fucked up thing as well. The mom seems like I don't see why he would do that. It seems it seems a little out there, but okay, whatever. But then this is the one. This is the twist that like threw me for a loop because I had. And this is the this is how, this is like, a master a master at work. Anderson the way he uses misdirection in this movie is so well done. I cannot stop gushing over it. But upon further review of footage, I think it's the it's the scene. Or it's the footage where Alice is supposedly, supposedly Alice is walking through the hallway, but it's Matthew. The way it's the way it's framed is that you can see the hallway, but then you can also see what looks like a little bit into Alice's bedroom. And there's that mirror, and out no, it's not a mirror, but she has like this like secret like hiding place, blocked by some things. We'll get to that. So anyway, when you're looking at that frame, you see Alice walking through the hallway, but because I knew I knew a little bit about the movie already, I was looking everywhere. And even though I was looking at a spot that I was pretty sure had something, I still didn't see it. So they show the frame. You see Alice walk through the hallway. Or I mean, Matthew, technically. You see her walk through the hallway. And the mom gives a voiceover of like, oh, like, oh, like yes, we see that like it's, it's doctored. But upon further review, you see something in the like on the edge of the frame. And it does that zoom in. And it zooms in. And you see what looks like a dude's head or someone's head. And you're like, what the hell? And she's like, and I turned and I, and I realized it was our neighbor, Brett. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. Hold the phone. Huh? <laughs> because, like, when was a neighbor ever part of this? But no, like, it threw me for a fucking loop. I'm so invested at this point that I was like, I was so, like, appalled. Or not appalled, but I was so shocked that, like, oh, like, yeah. And I guess the shock was a little bit elevated for the sense of, like, I was looking there and I still didn't see anything. And it was like, yeah, it's our neighbor is in the frame. And it was like, huh? And it does that zoom. And it's like, yep, that's a dude's head. Well, it turns out that Alice was like a babysitter for their neighbors. This guy named Brett. 
and um so the neighbor so the neighbor brett it turns out alice was babysitting for um their kids which was like two sons like like around the age of eight or something around that age but brett and his wife to like to like alice's parents they didn't seem like bad people but after doing some digging after the mom did some digging in alice's room it turned she came across that wherever it was brett was looking and she saw that there was like a secret hiding place where alice had this like special box and in it were things that you would probably keep in a safe like that um and there was a videotape not marked or anything just a videotape and when they played it it was a recording of brett and his wife having a sexual encounter with alice there it was practically some practically like a sex tape basically and it was the three of them and it adds more intrigue to the film because you're like whoa like this just came out of nowhere <laughs> you're telling me that like this just came out of nowhere but it also starts to set in this idea of we don't really know who Alice is um like because we've been focused so much on the family up to this point like yeah we know Alice was 16 she died and one of the things that's important that's key is that we're in, we're, we're learning about Alice through their eyes and emphasis on their eyes they're, they're, it's a, their notion of who Alice is and I think part of it also comes stems in from that that idea of the mom not giving her enough love or like she didn't feel like she was giving her enough attention that also brings up an idea of you never really know you you can never really truly know someone but i'll get more into that later but yeah you don't really know alice up until this point you're just, you just have like i said that notion that the family is telling you of like close friends that are telling you of like her friends and stuff of what of who alice was and so for this to come out of nowhere, it's like, whoa, like, she doesn't seem like that kind of girl. Like, she would have told us or something, right? Right? And it's like, oh, man. So you're, so you're, now you're even more, like, encapsulated, encapsulated by this movie. I'm like, where the hell is this movie going? You know? So that kind of, like, but then it turned, but then, like, so, like, Brett never found the videotape, of course. And she ended up, and his him and his wife ended up moving. I, they moved, I think, I don't know if it was sometime after Alice passed away or sometime, or sometime a little bit before. So it kind of made him look sus, but there was no, there's no way to connect them to like any kind of foul play towards it. So yeah, that happens. But in this whole, in that whole like sense of finding this stuff, the mother, her mom found that box on the tape, but there was this planner inside. Yeah, it was like a planner. And in it, she comes across Ray, the psychic. He comes, she comes across his business card and Alice's planner. And it's kind of like, wait, so you're saying she met with him? And it's like, yeah. And then it cuts in into, I think it's, it's an interview with, or it's cut, um, the consultation that Ray did with Alice's mom, but it's with Alice. And he's like, oh, like, why'd you, why'd you come here? She's like, well, I've been having dreams. Like, can you interpret dreams? And he's like, I can, I can try it. I can do it to my, the best of my ability. And she, and she comes out saying that she's had dreams of, like, things of, like, her dying, her death, things of drowning, and things of, and then one thing that, like, that clicks is of her mom not seeing or being able to help her. 
and then the dad and i mean the psychic ray he does the same thing with her like oh imagine yourself in your house walking in and stuff and so she does that she's like okay yeah i'm in my house i'm in my i'm heading to my room i'm in there and he's like okay what else do you see and she's standing and she says she's standing in the corner and her mom walks in oblivious like she's calling out to her mom but the mom's not looking doesn't really see her there and leaves and this plays a important part into probably what's probably the most emotional part of this film later in the movie we'll, but we'll get there so yeah she she had she ended up seeing ray before all of this happened i think like maybe three to four months prior to her to her death and the parents didn't know about it and so it put him in the cahoots with it puts him in the cahoots of ray in that sense like he didn't mention this before he didn't tell them and his reasoning is that um well the parents wouldn't have trusted him or they would have felt some kind of like point of interest i guess that he was like be, like he would they would he would have had some kind of insider information something like that but they couldn't trust him no more it's the king they couldn't trust him no more and um they kind of let him go doesn't really do anything and ray just really wanted to help out and that's part of why he didn't bring it up either and then during all this also in the planner was the words like mungo over and over that's but that's because she was supposed to be going to because at lake mungo it was like a camp like a school camp or like a tourist destination and a bunch of her friends were going to go so she went as well and so she had to lay out for like oh that's the whole weekend and so it it comes to it comes to light that her boyfriend i forget his name but her boyfriend i don't know if he had footage or if it was a friend of theirs that had footage but they had footage of when they were at lake mungo and it shows that like alice is acting a little bit weird she's acting kind of sus and you can see it through the the footage and of course it's like 2005 they got the they got weird they got nokia phones you know those bricks that are like indestructible but yeah so it's all choppy and stuff but yeah it's like them hanging out and chilling at some points uh alice looks a little bit like uneased but then there's a there's a one point where they're like going through like taking footage and stuff and you see someone and like what looks kind of like a craterish type thing on her knees and it's alice and it looks like as though she's burying something even though this is like potato quality camera but that's what it is is that she's like burying something near this tree and these are there and then they kind of like then the, the, her friends kind of come like hey what are you doing all this and that and they don't really see what she did but like hey like oh hey and you kind of you see alice's face and it looks kind of uneasy and so why didn't the boyfriend come out with this footage before we don't know or you just never thought of it or just didn't know what to or just felt like it would have hindered something or investigation or something. I don't know. But he doesn't he doesn't but finally with that footage comes to light and now the parents the family feels okay, I guess we should go out to Lake Mungo and see what that was going on. So they go to Lake Mungo and they don't dig around during the day because, you know, it'd probably make the tourists think they're weird, so they go at night. And it takes them a while to find it because you can't really see from the footage where it is. It's just like a tree in like certain parts. But they do their best to like, to like, match the the footage the image with the where it is. And they find it. They find the hole near the tree, and they go start digging. And they find a bag. And inside the bag was I think it was Alice's phone, a bracelet of her that was like really, really personal to her. And I want to say, I don't know if it was like a necklace or something that was also very important to her. And I think one of the, the dad points out something that like, oh, well, no, we'll get to that because it's not happening yet. But yeah, they find it. So then they put the phone to charge, like wondering why, like what the hell was all this? 
And then comes probably the scariest part of the film. The only real jump scare in this film is during this part. And I feel it's scary, not just on like a visual level, but I guess on like a existential level as well. And okay, so like they have watched the footage, they show the footage, and it's Alice like walking through, like walking through Lake Mungo away from the friends. And I think she's like coming out to the shoreline of the lake. And you see something in the distance, and she's coming towards it closer. She's coming closer. She's coming. She's walking towards it, but I think that the entity, the entity is also walking towards her. And you can see it's a person. It's a person and whatnot. And then it comes, she gets closer, closer, and then it closes and it freeze frames. And whole, like I'm telling you, I have chills. Is this this frame, this little scene, is probably one of the best scenes in film history. Not just horror, but like in general, film in general. And it's forever, I mean forever, grained into my mind. So she's walking towards this entity, and as it gets closer, it's it, it's what appears to be her. And it's not just her, but it's the dead form of her. It's because you see her corpse earlier in the movie looking all pale, like a eye is bloated. And when she and it freeze frames on on the entity, and it's practically like a doppelganger of her. But after when she's dead, it's like her corpse. Like she looks hella pale. The eye, the same eyes, bloated. Her mouth is kind of off, and they freeze frame on it because there's so much. Well, they kind of easily kind of explain it off, but like if you look at it deeper, there's like there's like so many things you could take from that scene. And it's just the freeze frame is like, and they they mention it too, like oh yeah, we it's it looks like her doppelganger, of like of herself when she died. And I think this was be- this was maybe three months before she died. So tenant, and I think I don't know if it was the father or, or Ray that stated or said that like it was she practically like was filming her future. Um, she she saw this, and she practically knew that she was gonna die. She had to live with this sense that she was gonna die soon. How we don't know, but it's just that sense of like coming it's she came face to face with her her future in a way basically that's what happened she came face to face with her future and there was there was just something off-putting about it just and then like just the thought of of something like that happening of coming face to face with like your future self well granted to her well the, the fact that it was captured on video as that it like actually happened but like as to if she like if she saw a ghost or like an actual physical form of herself. Adds to the and I think it was the dad who said she believed that he believed that she buried the like stuff because it was kind of like a pre funeral or something, leaving all her like personal belongings buried or something. But I just can't get that scene out of my mind. I had chills for like a couple, for a while afterwards and I still get chills when I think about it because it's the deeper implications of that scene. But we'll get we'll get to that. We'll get to that. I'm forgive me that I'm saying we'll get to that a lot. But so the movie goes on, and the family starts to move on. They feel like that the the this moment has brought them closer. That they feel that Alice's spirit has shown them what she wanted them to see, and so they feel kind of okay. They have more closure. They move out of the house and they believe, and they basically move on. Feeling that, yeah, Alice is probably at ease, the hunting has stopped, and 
it's okay, and they move on. And then also, but then they cut to this emotional, like, this emotional, like, intercut of the mom, the mom's consultation with Ray and Alice's consultation with Ray. And people have looked at this ending a certain way, but I feel like mine might be a little more sad slash pessimistic, but I feel that's the way I see this movie. And it's an intercut of their consultations, and they're, they're like, matching together. Bad, compar- bad comparison, but think that scene in Paranormal Activity, the ghost dimension, where those two guys are watching uh, the little girls, like, talk about, like, oh, like, what do you see? And it's like, I see a guy. And they're watching us. And it's like, what do they look like? And it's like, she's like, describing them, per- like, perfectly. And then one of them sneezes, and she's like, bless you. Like, think that scene. Like, where shit's going on at the same, kind of like that. But this is way more powerful than that. I know, sorry, bad comparison. But, so yeah, it's intercutting. And yeah, the mom walked in. She walked into the house, like went into, saw the shoes at the door, like walked into the room, didn't see anything and left. And analysis, it was she walked into the house, walked into the room, saw the mom walk in and she was, but the mom didn't see her. She just walked in and did her thing. But those are, but those are intercut. So it's like, so it's like, what do you see? Where are you? Oh, I walked, I walked into Alice's room. I'm in Alice's room. What do you see? I don't see anything. And it cuts to Alice like, I see my mom, but she doesn't see me. I'm trying to like call out to her, but she doesn't see me. And then it's like back to the mom, like, oh, it's like, yeah, I don't see anything in the room. I'm gonna head back out now. And then leaves. And then Alice saying, like, oh, she's leaving now. And it's just, there's just so I don't know. It's just so much like like sto- like ah, it's such good storytelling, but also leaves more implications as to like how Alice felt, I guess, in a way. And this is where I think it's this ending is really sad. Because it intercuts like that, right? And yes, they moved on. They it like they moved on, right? And but then and then the credits roll. But then during the credits, they show the footage and the photo, the photo slash footage where it was like, um, oh, I forgot to mention, I forgot to mention this. But back before, I think it was before. What was it? Was it the seance? No, it was like sometime after, sometime after Matthew told them that the that the photos, the video was fake in the photos. But before the Brett thing, Matthew went on a road trip with Ray just to chill for a bit. And they still had the cameras up just to see if anything would happen, just out of curiosity. And they did see like actual like footage of like Alice. Like it was Alice. There was no way it was doctored because it was only the mom and dad at the house. And there was like a quick, you could see a quick scene into the parents' bedroom. Like Alice is like standing over the bed, and then there's like another one. You see a quick glimpse of her face, of like in her room or in the hallway or something. But yeah, I forgot to mention that. But yeah, back to the ending. So the credits roll, and during the credits, they start re-showing the stuff that was so-called that was so on that was so-called doctored uh, that Matthew like said he messed up or that he altered. But then they start to show that like Alice was there the whole time. She did it. She wasn't like she didn't leave or anything, or how do I put it? Yeah, like she wasn't like out of place or she wasn't like gone with them. She's like she was there. She was there the whole time. Cause like they zoom in on like, it's the photo where Alice is supposedly standing in the in the garden, even though it's Matthew. But then they zoom in off to like the right, where you probably didn't look because they had because like I said, Anderson does a masterful job of directing this. But it's because yeah, you're focused on. 
that was clear as day. But no, it's Matthew. You know, okay, why am I looking at this photo again? And then it zooms way off to the corner in the right. It zooms off way off to the corner in the right, and it's Alice sitting on a, like this bench they have in the in the garden. I'm like, oh, oh shit. And then it shows like, uh, I think it's I, I want to say it's the footage where she where Matthew walks through the hallway, and it zooms to this other part of the room where it's like, no, nah, she's right there. No, I think it's the one where she's in the. I think it's the. Okay, so there's a scene of the photo and she's in the right corner. And then there's a scene, I think, when they were showing her in, like, in the mirror. But, of course, it was it was fake. But then it zooms off to, like, another part of the room where it's like, no, she's right there. She's actually there. And then there's another one as well. I want to say it might have been the seance one where, like, yeah, you saw her there. But then it zooms to another part and it's like, nope, she's right there. So it's like saying, like, she was there the whole time. And this is where I think the ending is sad. It's kind of a downer. Because I've seen some people say that, oh, like, she kind of, like, was able to have peace. Like, they finally understood that, like, she was kind of, no. That, like, she, she was able to, like, be in peace now, I guess. The family moved on. But the way I see it, I feel like they never really noticed her in life or in death. She was there the whole time. And they weren't, they were, they weren't, they were looking for her in all the wrong places. If that's a good, if that's a good way to put it, because as, as the photos told us, it's like, yeah, we were like believed to be, it was believed to be this, but no, it was just Matthew, but no, she was there the whole time. And part of, part of one of, so yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's very sad in the sense that like, I feel that she's not. How do I put this? She's not, she's not, yeah, she wasn't paid attention to, for better lack of a word. So I don't think, I don't believe she's able to move on. I believe she's still in like this like state of like, I don't want to say purgatory, that's not the word, but like maybe like not at peace, I guess. The family's at peace, they moved on, but not her. She, she, she wasn't able to find that closure. She's not able to find that closure. Maybe she like maybe like like feels lonely or something, you know. But yeah, this movie is definitely it's a slow burn for sure. It's definitely one of those movies where I feel like I can't recommend it to just anyone. Or like no, I'm re- like I'll recommend it to everyone, but I don't think it's gonna be for everyone. It might not be um your cup of tea or something, you know. But let's get let's move on with this outro and some final thoughts. Now that I've gone through the movie and basically the breakdown of some thoughts, let's just have a little bit of reconciliation, I guess. And what I took away from this film is the idea is that, well, first of all, this movie is a very good um, exercise in show and don't tell. Because sometimes you just gotta, because there's a problem with some movies nowadays is that they explain too much. Their exposition dumps are left and right. Movies are afraid to make people think. Not all the time, but a good chunk of the time. Movies are afraid to make people think. Or they think the audience isn't smart enough to figure shit out for themselves. 
not the same genre, but a good example was Blood was Bloodshot, the, re, the Vin Diesel movie that came out recently. That movie is exposition after exposition, left and right, left and right. Like there's things you can the, you can deduce like just by looking, but no, the the movie has to go and explain to you what's going on and what's happening. It's like no, don't do that to me. A good a good example is uh, Uncut Gems. If you haven't seen that movie, go watch that movie. It's a fucking masterpiece. Um, but I, I think I'd take this movie over Uncut Gems. Hot take, maybe I don't know, but I take them. I take this movie over that one. But no, it's still hella amazing. But Uncut Gems does a good job in that sense of show don't tell, in the sense like there's a lot of things that go on in that movie that they don't explain right away. You're just along for the ride that you just have to accept, or be like, okay, I guess. I mean, I don't know if it's exactly on the same level as this, but I mean in the sense of like, like um, the gambling jargon that goes on. Like when when uh Adam Sandler goes to make that first bet with Mike Francesca, and it's like oh yeah this six way parlay and and one points on KG and blah blah blah. To to us people it might not make sense. To some people it might make sense because they know the ways of gambling, but to to average viewer they might not get it. They might not. They probably don't know the inner workings of gambling and how that works. So you're just there like. And, like, so you're just there with context clues of, like, oh, yeah, I want to do this, this, and this. And then that, like, affirma- like the affirmation of Mike Francisco going, like, that's the stupidest fucking bet I've ever heard. Like, so you're left to believe, like, oh, like, it, sound- it sounded complicated. And Mike Francisco telling, oh, that's stupidest fucking bet he's ever heard. is like, a way of saying, like, oh, like, there's some serious, like, this bet is probably has some high stakes to it, you know? And then it's further paid off later on when it's, like, when yeah, Adam Sandler like sees it and he's like, "Oh shit, I made a lot of money." So things like that of like, you might not, you might, you probably don't understand the gambling jargon, but through like little clues and like little context, yeah, like little context clues, you're able to deduce your for yourself that like, oh, this is probably a big deal. This is probably high stakes. It could have a good return if it goes well, but if something fucks up, then he's gonna lose. That's a good way of show don't tell. There's other examples I could go through in that movie, but that's one of the that's one of the big ones. But so yeah, and one of this one of the things this movie does masterfully is show don't tell, because there's a lot of there's a lot of like questions in this movie that still kind of go unexplained, but don't have to be explained, because you're just kind of left like there like oh okay, because also if there's one thing this movie does well is that it provides an objective view and not a subjective view, and you're like there with the family you like feel for them even relate to them at some points but like. There's nothing you can do to like re- like affect that, you know. It's already happened. It's done. What it what is is what is. And if there's also one thing this movie does right is the idea of grief, because if there's one idea that's not I feel isn't explored enough in film, it's the idea of grief. And as as of recent, have movies been able to do that more or less? Yeah, like movies like The Babadook and Hereditary, as I mentioned earlier, have good have good depictions of grief um interesting depictions of grief to put it but the tricky line you have to balance between with grief is is the idea is that grief is loss the absence of somebody or something not being there no more and also what helps this movie is the fact is like the use of um uh, like basically i don't say normal actors but like lesser yeah lesser known actors because it not only does it bring in authenticity like, sure, you can do that for any movie, but sometimes it doesn't feel right. 
But in this movie, it works really well because they, it's lesser known actors, but they sell their parts really hard. Like there's parts in this movie where like, if it were like a Hollywood take on the movie, you'd be like, oh, they're supposed to be crying here. Like, oh my gosh, I miss them and all this and that. But in this movie, when it comes to moments like that, it's like, where they'd be crying, usually they're like holding back those tears. Because in reality, if you were to be interviewed, you wouldn't want to be like crying tears left and right. You don't want to be, you don't want that image on or something. You'd probably be doing your best to hold it back to show that you're strong. To show that you're strong and that everything is fine. Or that it seems as though everything is going fine for you. You you handle this well. But it's just, you know, that's not the way things work. And this film does a really good job of that. Also, what it, the, like I said before, the mockumentary, the mockumentary style also has a lot going for it because it has, because it's also like you could practically call it found footage as well, but like it's this this movie has a more like heavily edited like ready ready for TV type vibe where it seems rehearsed and controlled. Well, not rehearsed in like the sense like oh yeah like these people were meant to say that, but like rehearsed in the sense of like this is where our cuts are gonna go and. This is like you're gonna cut to this frame when it, we ask for whatever, and it adds to that slow burn as everything is unfolding. Cause sure, this movie it unfolds like a movie, but the adding that documentary sense adds it like a like a, another level to it. Of like I don't maybe like realism this might be the word, but yeah, like it adds it just adds something to the film. And also, I love how it has the idea of. It's it's used a lot, but it's the idea that you can never really truly know someone. And in this case, it's not like, oh, like, oh, they have something underneath. They're hiding something underneath that will, like, that could, like, they have, like, some killer instinct underneath or something. No, it's the idea that you'll never truly know someone in the sense of, like, their, you might, their dreams, their intimacy is what makes them tick, you know, like, you can say like you know you could say you know your your mom or your dad or something they probably know you but it's not like they know everything about you they probably don't know the way your your mind works they don't know the way they might not know the way you feel about something or that you really want to feel this way or something and it's it's just that idea that kind of like also adds an emotional punch because like i said you don't really know anything about alice throughout this movie except what they're what you're told and like and because it's not like her perspective it's the sense that like we're getting ideas of who she was through other people and what their idea of her was so all these ideas are coming together to make one big one collective idea oh you could think of as alice so then it hits even more when they're like oh there there was a sexual thing she had with the neighbors and then there was a thing of like oh she actually was like dreaming or had possible premonitions of death and then when it comes to the sense of like she came face to face with her death, like literally, it's just something. It's just something else, man. I cannot, I cannot gush enough over that scene. It's just there's just so much, there's so much existential like questions and ideas that could like, cause put yourself in your in her shoes if you in that moment. Imagine you're just chilling one day, you don't feel right. Like, let's say you don't feel right. Like, you're just on, like, maybe during your morning walk, you know? Like, your morning jog or something. You decide to take a shortcut through the park. It's kind of dark. 
it's a little earlier than usual, but you're on your morning run and you're running through and you see what seems to be someone else jogging. You're like, huh, it's a little early, but you know, people do what they do, but they come at you and you're starting to like freak out a little bit. But instead of running, you just had to confront them. You don't know why it just overcomes you. And you start to run at them as well. And you come face to face, face to face with it. And then it happens to be your exact lookalike of you. But like, let's say disfigured. Jaw is like missing. Maybe not jaw missing. Let's say like the jaw is very cracked. It's broken for sure. Out of place. Deep gashes over your face. An eye is hanging out. I don't know. I don't know what a car accident would look like. Okay. But let's say your face is just straight dismantled. You're going to be like, whoa, what the hell? You might do a double take, like blink a couple of times and that person's gone. They're nowhere to be seen. Now you're left with this idea of like, what the hell was that? So then let's say you, you end up in a car accident. Maybe you have a lot, like little bits, like a little like bit of life before you're gone. And you're like, damn. What did I come face to face with? Was that a good example? I don't know. I was in the middle of some darker storytelling, but hey. <laughs> if it works, it works. But if it doesn't, then it doesn't. Then let's forget that bit ever happened. But hopefully it got my idea across of the sense of there's just like the just the sense of like she came face literally face to face with her death, her future. She knew at some point she was gonna die. When there was no timetable, but she knew she was gonna die. It's like one of those like would you rather questions, like would you rather know how you're gonna die or when you're gonna die, or something like that. And she was more in the sense of how she's gonna die. But there's just so much that plays into that scene. I cannot, like I said, I cannot keep gushing over how well made this movie is, how emotionally investing this movie is, and how devastating and depressing this movie is in the end when you think about it. Because the way I see it, like they said, like I've seen some people say, like, oh yeah, she moved on, she was able to like live peacefully, I guess. But no, I don't see it that way. I see it in the way that she probably ended up. Um, she couldn't. She didn't die. In, well, not didn't die in peace. Oh no, she probably didn't die in peace anyway. But the idea that her ghost still is restless because the parents, the like the family moved on. They think they they think they're done. They assume they're done, and they and so they live on with their lives, but reality it's not like that like alice's ghost is still restless her spirit is still like sad and depressed i guess almost kind of has some themes to like the film cairo or pulse japanese film 2001 that's a, that's another episode but the ideas of loneliness i guess it's just like i said this movie is just amazing you have to check it out for yourself i mean it's amazing anyway that concludes our episode, our bonus, our first bonus episode of Up at 3 a.m. As we had a little deep talk about Lake Mungo. Like I said, if you haven't, go check this movie out for for fuck's sakes because it is amazing. It's well made, deserves to be seen. Everyone needs to see this movie. Like I said, it's on, I believe it's on Amazon. Um, you can find it on Tubi for free. Shout out to Tubi. Um, but yeah. So yeah, thank you for for listening. Um, if you want to be on a pod, if you want to be on an episode one day, you have an idea you want to talk about, something you want me to talk about, hit me up in my, in my DMs uh, on Instagram at Paco Salazar 42. Um, my YouTube is Francisco Salazar as well. 
um, email me ideas at uh, Franklin. No, it's Francisco forty two Salazar at Gmail. Um, if you have any ideas for the podcast, if there's anything you want to talk about, if you want to be on one, I'd be down to have you. Um, so yeah, expect a weekly episode on Saturday. Although the news week seems to be slow at the moment, but then again, it's just Tuesday. It's Tuesday, but it seems slow, a little slow at the moment. But um, and if it, if that's the case, if there's not much to talk about, I might talk about. I might go in a little in depth about some of the movies I've seen because I got some bangers that I have on my watch list. So that could that could garner that could garner its own um its own its own bonus episode, I guess. But I doubt it. But I might just go in a little bit deeper after the news and headlines. I might just go in a little bit deeper about some movies I watched because, like I said, there's some decent stuff I've been I'm watching right now slash rewatching, and it's, it'll be good. It'll be good. So yeah, thank you. Um, for listening to up at 3 a.m. I would appreciate it if um, you share you share this. Um, so yeah, this has been Paco of Up at 3 a.m. And let's keep it steady. Hear the music. Coming to you from the glorious 402, Omaha, Nebraska, this has been up at 3 a.m. with Paco, bringing you all the latest insights on Hollywood, an occasional review, and maybe a rant or two. Until next week, keep it steady.